Can't believe I missed this during the international break. United just lost comprehensively at St. James's Park. Outshot 22-6, struggling all over the pitch, and crucially, dropping to fourth in the table with 11 games left to play in the league. Case, did you hate that as much as I did? Yeah, that sucked. That sucked. Like it was, it was, it was a, that was not enjoyable. Um, and beyond that, it was a really bad performance. Uh, last week we talked about how the performances have gone downhill since Barcelona uh, at home, and then we sort of, you know, uh, went against that and said, well, really, they haven't been that bad. There's not too much to be exceedingly worried about. This was really bad. Um, and I think there's a couple of different ways you can interpret why it was so bad. But I would say this is a concerning performance. What about you? What was your takeaway? Yeah, I mean, I think the comeback against Fulham kind of prolonged this issue past the international break. But now I feel like we really need to go into why this is beginning to go awry and what United can do to fix it to get to the end of the season and get to a stage where they can really invest in the playing squad and, um, and, and growing it. So let's start with personnel. I think I, I want to start with personnel for this episode because I think it's becoming more and more apparent that the personnel that United are putting out are not quite as good as they might have appeared a couple months ago. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that, including the fact that, you know, some of the personnel that United were putting out a couple months ago have been absent. But in general, I think we're beginning to see that this squad has issues and United have played opposition who are better equipped to expose those issues. So as a result, it is becoming more difficult to get results. The reason why I bring this up is because I think there's not broad or widespread or even tangible criticism of Eric Ten Hag beginning to bubble amongst the fan base, but a little bit of maybe vulnerability. Um, I think I think Ten Hag has kind of gotten this reputation among United fans early on that he's kind of inevitable and he can roll with the punches and make this team play regardless of the weaknesses that might exist, but that's a reality that doesn't really exist for any coach, is it? So I just think it's important to start with personnel because I don't believe that the results that United are getting are stemming from Eric Ten Hag, even though I don't think he's making every perfect decision. Yeah, I agree. At this point, apparently I say I agree or I agree largely so often that it's become like a, a, a touch point for people who listen regularly. So I'm going to try to replace that phrase in my my vocabulary <laughs> somehow. I'm not sure how, but I'm going to try to figure it out. Um, I don't disagree. I don't dis- Yeah, that, that's the other one. Yeah, I agree. You have to start with personnel here. Some of these players are not good. I'm, I'm I'm trying to think of how to 
where the best place to start is because we've talked about De Gea at length. This is another. Yeah, match I don't want to where... talk about. No, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start by saying that we've already talked about De Gea and McTominay in length. Um, there was a lot of again McTominay discourse on Twitter this week. The summary of it is he's just not at the level of the rest of the squad. And you can frame it however you want. You can say you need to move him further forward. You can say you need to move him further back. He does not have the footballing ability to play matches regularly for this team. In I don't really role. want to discuss that. In, in any role. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Like... I, I don't really want to discuss it. I I think the more interesting personnel discussion is after you get rid of those two, um, and maybe what Weghorst as well, who's kind of like a stopgap. Um, I think you have a number of players in the team today who are who are kind of players that you wouldn't be surprised to see playing for teams at this level. Like if you look through the side, you have Dalo, who even before this he was on loan at AC Milan, came through Porto's youth setup, has had a good season in my opinion. You've got Shaw, you know PFA player PFA team of the year at eighteen. Lissandro and Varane have been playing for top clubs in Europe. Zabitzer was playing for Bayern and before that Leipzig. Anthony at Ajax. Bruno has been one of United's best players over the last few years and same with Rashford. So you don't really expect that that group of personnel with those resumes are going to have the amount of trouble I think we've seen them have over the past few weeks. So I have an answer to this question, but... I want to ask you first, why do you think that's happening? Or or let me let me let me reframe it for you. Do you think that there's an issue with the personnel I just described that is causing them to struggle in these matches more than you'd expect given their pedigree? Of course. Uh, I mean I worry that this is becoming too repetitive and that we're touching on this too often. I really think the key thing is most of the players in this team are uncomfortable receiving their ball, receiving the ball back to goal and turning or even facing up a player and, and, and beating them. And this doesn't mean like one V one, you know, these flashy, you know, take ons. It means like functional evasiveness on the ball, the ability to retain possession under pressure and then break pressure. In a lot of cases, this, this doesn't even look that, special in practice the players who can do this but i said there's very very few players at united who can really do this at a high level i'd say shaw and lisandro are probably like maybe the only ones anthony sancho when he plays but honestly i think sancho has trouble with this oddly enough at times it's a really short list of players who can do this consistently and you know you come up against a side like newcastle who aren't like innovative in the way that they press but they're effective and well-drilled, and energetic, and young, and you just get pinned, and you get overly reliant on playing fast in transition situations, and you lose. You lose deservingly, and honestly, I think there's been other matches this season where this probably should have been the outcome, where we became overly reliant on, you know, our, our, our settled defensive shape, Trusting that we're not going to get broken down when we're sitting in a block, because our block is pretty good, and our defenders are pretty good. Winning those duels, getting out in space, scoring in space. That just doesn't work. Like, it's just a bad way to... It's 
I think there's this idea that a lot of United fans have of like, oh, that's actually a, a reasonable model for how a top side can play because it's how top United sides played in moments 15 years ago. Football is not the same. Opposition is far more sophisticated than it was 15 years ago. You can't play like that. There's like there's there's no amount of improvement in your duels in the defensive third or your efficiency on the counterattack that can make that a viable strategy. You need to be able to play through this press. And we we've said this a million times before. I really feel like I'm just repeating myself now. But that's that that's what it is, right? Like do you have a do you have a separate point to make? I think that's the key here. Yeah, I mean, I'll reframe what basically the same thing you said in that I think United kind of have a unique collection of players who are very, very, very good at what they do and weak under a press um, or weak at carrying the ball or have issues in possession. Um, And I think they have, supporting that cast, a number of players who are pretty good but not elite. And that's outside... Sean and Lissandra, like you said, who are both, I would say, elite in their position and very good at this particular element of the game that I think is extremely important. And I think when you stack that up against Man City and Arsenal, who are the teams in the league that have been clearly better than United this season, they don't have that in their team. Most, if not all, and I would say all, of the players who play regular minutes for those teams don't have this weakness playing under pressure receiving under pressure. Most of their players can carry under pressure. Um, And I think that leads you to a place where, in my opinion, United have a dysfunctionality in how the squad is built. And I think it creates concern for me for how they're going to build out of this while also in the age time frame of the best players in this squad. And obviously today, Casemiro didn't play, so I won't talk about Casemiro and We've gone through this before. Um, I think Bruno in particular, we've gone through this before. Varane, for the first goal, I thought it, it became particularly clear that his issues playing out of the back are eventually going to be a problem for United. Yeah, I, I, saw, a lot of people, I saw a lot of people say, oh, well, the, the, the original pass, A, why are we taking that goal kick short? It's so obvious they're going to press from it. I understand why you would think that, but you just have to play through this team. You're not going to beat Newcastle by going long. Like, they're just going to keep on winning possession, and then eventually they're going to find a way to get a shot off in your 60-yard box and score. So, like, Also, like, I, I think the team's reaching a breaking point where for the last couple of weeks, United have struggled in these games, and... I think especially in the Fulham game, they reached a point where they couldn't build out of the back. They couldn't play out of the press. Eventually, you need to try something. You need to try and fix the problem, regardless of the weaknesses of the players you have. Like, I, I think it's unrealistic to expect Ten Hag to show up every week and be able to come up with workarounds for these players' weaknesses that lead to being able to outplay the opposition every week. I don't think there's a coach doing that in football right now. And I think if you're going to try and win that way, you're going to lose. Like, I don't I don't think there's a coach who can just individually come up with these solutions every week that are going to help you play and compete with teams that are built to systemically break down this opposition regularly. Like, I just, I just think it's unrealistic fundamentally to expect that. 
Um, and I yeah, think I agree. when I... weaknesses show, it's easy to blame Ten Hag for individual decisions, but it's like every coach would have this problem at some point coaching this team. Yeah, I agree. I think expecting managers to find match-by-match solutions to personnel deficiencies is, is ridiculous. Frank. At least every like, match, right? Yeah, that's it's what I mean. Two like, matches on a, ma- on a match-to-match basis. If Let's say like you finish the summer window and there's one clearly identifiable, identifiable issue with the squad. I think it's relatively reasonable to expect a manager to at least find a functional workaround for that deficiency. That is a different thing than having unexpected absences and expecting a manager to just have like week by week solutions to whatever opposition comes up. And you know what? I think a lot of United fans immediately respond to that as being like, well, that's what Ferguson did. No, it is not. <laughs> Ferguson was creative. No doubt about it. He had a lot of different personnel solutions for different situations. He couldn't just work around not having players of a certain profile indefinitely. Um, and he would tell you that himself. So, I, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, to, to your point. I would also add that Ferguson never beat a team as good as City. Like, I agree. when Ferguson was winning the league, his team was the best team in the league. Or the other teams competing with them were comparable. Like, you had Wenger's Arsenal. Maybe you could argue Mourinho's Chelsea. Nobody else in that time span came close to the best United teams. These City teams come close. I would argue they're better. I think... I don't want to say they're better relative to the time period, but they're better now than those teams were then, which means that in order for United to beat them, they have to be better now than they were then. Like, I I guess I just fundamentally believe that the game evolves. And yeah, I, I don't think it's a model solutions for the present and not for the past. Yeah, I don't think 15 year old insights are valid anymore in a sport that evolves as quickly as football does. And, and you know what? Maybe I'm beating up a straw man here. Maybe... In particular, I doubt many of our listeners are like, oh, uh, don't these guys know Ferguson could have done this? Um, (laughs) But I I do think it's a relevant point because I do think it's a a question that people immediately ask, right? Like, well, I I have the sense that, you know, Sir Alex could have found solutions to these things. I really don't think he could have. That said, do I think every decision that's been made has been the correct one? Definitely not. Um, in particular, I was baffled by the Sabitzer Bruno pivot with McTominay ahead of it today. I thought that was ridiculous. And I think the, the halftime adjustment showed it and we were a little bit better after the fact, but even then, I think that just shows that like, no matter how you shuffle these players, some of them just are not good enough. And you come up against a well-drilled side and you have obvious weaknesses, you're going to struggle. Yeah. Um, you brought up the starting 11. I I personally didn't like the starting 11. And I think when we're talking about technical shortcomings, even though, like you said, Sancho, I, I mean, you didn't really say it, but I think you implied Sancho hasn't quite been at his best. Um, but I think there are a couple players who didn't start this game who would have made United better. Like, even if the approach wasn't exactly a major issue to me, I think players like Fred, I definitely would play Sancho, uh, yep. Like they they got to be starting. We we know this about McTominay. We've seen the McTominay and Sabitzer pivot struggle. We've seen the Fred and Sabitzer pivot do pretty well um, in games against a high press. I think. I mean, I don't think they were able to play out of Leeds's press, but I do think they were active. They were more active in winning second balls. 
They crumbled less positionally in transition situations, which was the biggest thing today. As soon as the opposition won the ball, the midfield just wasn't there. Like they were just able to play through super easily. Um, and I, I do think Fred has issues in that department, but I don't think it's as much mayhem as you got today without him. And then with Sancho, I know he's not as good as Rashford and Bruno. Um, I know you can't drop Antony. And to some extent, it's hard to come up with a workaround from those players to replace Weghorst. But I just think just when you have Rashford a struggle to keep the ball, point. just play him. Yeah, I'd play. Yeah, like, I mean, I would in, drop Weghorst straight in, up. In, yeah, in matches where we don't have, where we're not going to dominate possession, I would play Rashford as striker. I think it, it mitigates a lot of the things that he, he doesn't bring. He, like, he's not tracking back. He's, uh, you know, overly committed to getting in behind in certain situations where ball retention is more important. Um, and Bruno, I think, feeds into that by trying to play him in instances where ball retention is way more important. But, uh, yeah, I think I think if you play him at center forward, you know, you get a player who's just, like, not up to it in these these end-to-end matches, I would say. And then you can get Sancho into the team, a player who I think will make you better in in, in these matches. Um, I, I think I think it's a win 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 win. Uh, and I get why it's not being done. I get why Rashford isn't playing center forward because in a lot of instances he st- still puts in subpar performances at that position because he's not a center forward. But I think that's the best solution that there is out there. But this kind of goes back to what we were just saying. Like I think that's the best solution that there is out there. Do I think it's it actually fixes anything, like makes it so that this match, this this poor performance doesn't happen. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'd say the same applies to Martial. I think there's a lot of issues he doesn't fix. I think there's some issues he does. I don't know if you go next time you play a team like this, you play both Sancho and Martial. I don't think it fixes all of the issues either way. I I, I get that he's relevant like for these next 11 league matches, but I have to say I'm a, I'm a bit done with Martial. Like, I I, I, I love the guy. I, I wish him the best, but I, I really hope he's not a part of this team next year because I, I don't think you can count on him to be ready to play matches. I don't think he's particularly consistent when he does play. I don't really think he's a center forward, but that's a totally different thing. I just, I think he... He picks... He t- takes up a spot in the squad that I don't think he warrants anymore, that he merits. Um, and, and there are other players in the squad that the same is true of to a greater extent, but th- that's just my analysis here. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little greener than that, but I get your point. He should definitely not be starting for United next season. Um, it, it really is as simple he's as that. Missed like se- he's been unavailable for 70% of our matches this season. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a good point. Even if he was fit, he shouldn't be starting. And even if he was starting, he probably wouldn't start that much because he has not been fit. That actually, in, in, in more than more ways than one, that brings me to something I wanted to talk about, which is we keep on talking about people. A, people have wanted us to disagree about something. I think I've got something that we're going to disagree about. B, there's been a lot of discussion about De Gea and McTominay. And I think they play two obvious weak link positions in this side, right? We're we're lacking a central midfielder. We're lacking a goalkeeper. There's obvious improvement to be made in those spaces. The other position that we always talk about needing is a center forward, right? I think if you watch that Newcastle match, 
you would not have been fixated on the fact that we need a center forward, even though obviously the center forward who was playing did not perform well, right? But that's not that's not that's not why Newcastle were able to pin us. I think a lot of people would say that's not why we were unable to to create chances. I think a lot of people would say, what I want to address here is I don't agree with either of those things. I really do think having a top end center forward would have a made breaking their press way easier. Not just because you can lump it up to them and they're gonna you know do some crazy bit of hold up play. There are plenty of great strikers who can't do that. But simply by having a technically sound player who's a threat at, at pace in and around the opposition back line, in the few instances where we were able to get behind, like to break the first line of Newcastle's press, we would have been way more efficient in quickly transitioning and we would have created far more chances. So while I get the, the desire to make the analysis like, oh, Newcastle's chances originated in our half from ball losses due to De Gea's, you know, shortcomings in distribution and McTominay's shortcomings on the ball and Sabitzer's shortcomings on the ball and even Bruno's shortcomings on the ball to a certain extent. I really think you need to look further down the chain of events and really consider that the the most impactful thing that could have been done in this match would have been even one big chance you know, like United creating even one big chance. And I think you get a top end center forward and United create even one big chance at some point in this match. And I think that's actually way more, that would have way more of a, of a, an impact on point collection over the course of a season than playing better in this match would, which I think is, is sort of a, People, people look at this match and they're like, oh, if we had a better goalkeeper, a better midfielder, we would have played better. Newcastle wouldn't have controlled this match so much. You're absolutely right. But I think if you want to look at this from like, oh, would we have lost this match or not? I think there's a very sound argument to be made that if you have an elite center forward replacing the replacement level center forward that we had playing this match, that center forward would add more points on average if you played this match a thousand times than a goalkeeper or center midfielder central midfielder yeah i don't disagree with any of that (laughs) i i think um i'm gonna i'm gonna make two reference points here and then explain why i i don't disagree basically um the first thing is i think people have a greener image of what a team that can get out of their half but can't break down the opposition looks like than the reality um I, I pose that with an example being the league leaders and what they were doing a year ago when they did not have players who could break down an opposition defense. And it was a whole lot of, a year ago it was a little bit better, but two years ago it was a whole lot of, they can really build out of their half, but they cannot break down the opposition. And then when they make mistakes, they can see goals. And every team makes mistakes. And so they do not actually collect a lot of points because they're not putting away the games that they, or or, or putting away the games that they dominate, and they're not, uh, and they're losing the games that they struggle in. The second issue here is people equate being better with winning. I don't think a team that is better without the ability to put the ball in the back of the net 
is going to win more matches than a team that from here is better at putting the ball in the back of the net, but not necessarily more dominant in these games. And the differential between a draw and a win is bigger than the differential between a draw and a loss. And so if you improve the issues that are causing United to lose games, what you're going to get is a team that has the ability to have more control. You'll see more foundations. So if your argument is, you know, you want to see United build a team that's foundational but still struggle to score next year, sure. Um, but they're not going to win more matches that way. They're not going to. They're not going to accumulate more may, points. Like, that maybe way in they a big will. Way. Maybe they will. They could. Yeah. They could. Yeah. But I think it's unlikely to have the same level of impact as just having a player who's going to turn draws into wins at an at an efficient rate. Um, Beyond that, a really really good center forward. Which you know, when I talk about this, like, oh, we need to upgrade a center forward. I'm always talking about elite upgrades because i think uh you know uh, an upgrade who doesn't move the knee like really push the envelope and and ultimately become one of united's best players if not their best player is is hardly an upgrade at all in in the scheme of things when we're trying to win titles right i think an elite center forward gets you to a point where yeah he's also converting more draws into wins but i also think an elite center forward means you get pinned less because, you know, again, like, again, the, the, the same scenario that I, I came up with earlier, you're getting pressed by Newcastle. A couple of times in this match, we did break their first line of press and there were transition opportunities. These usually resulted in kind of errant balls from Bruno over the top, uh, which is, you know, it's a theme, something that we've had happening for years. If you've got somebody who can actually in some way, make those transitions more threatening. And it doesn't mean you have to score goals, but just make those transitions stick. Make Get the ball into the opposition third at speed, create threat. That means United will have the ball in Newcastle's half more often for longer and ultimately just be pinned for less of the match. Like there, there's, a, there's a defensive, there's a practical defensive effect of having elite forwards. Um, and, and again, that might sound like stretching. That might sound like, oh, really, Case? Do you think the center forward is going to have more of a defensive impact than the goalkeeper? I think there's actually instances where that is true. And I think this is probably not the match for it because De Gea was so bad. But I really do think that at an elite level, you can have that impact. Elite, le- elite level players can tip the balance in terms of match dominance control like that. I think a good example of that has been Real Madrid in, in the Champions League in the past decade. I think often they are not tactically outclassing the opposition, outpressing the opposition, but I think often they have elite forwards that mean in the instances where they do break presses, and again, it's not just elite forwards, they have they've had elite midfielders as well. But in the instances where the ball does get to the forwards, the forwards make the ball stick, they get the ball into the opposition half and it stays there. I mean, I, I know you didn't say his name explicitly, but I bet this is also a reason why Napoli are doing so well this season. It's not that they're the Man City of Serie A. It's that they are they have brilliant forwards who, you know, when they do not dominate games, those forwards can still create things that win them matches. And that bears out... Perhaps not the day for the it when they've lost 4-0 to Milan, but yes. 
I I know, but like they they yes, lost four no. nil to Milan to be, to go down to what like ten points clear in Syria. Sixteen. They're sixteen clear of Lazio. Milan are actually twenty points back. So <laughs> I think we're good on that point. Um, I will say I do sympathize with the absolute frustration about the goalkeeper situation. Like, I just think the way this has been managed for so long has been so bad. And maybe people feel that way less about the strikers. I I, I still think it's been managed poorly. Um, but I think there have been some good strikers who have played for United over the past few years. Um, namely Cavani. So I think the frustration feels less long-winded. Yeah, I think Cavani is perhaps not the right example for this Uh use case right because i don't think i I don't i think cavani's an excellent striker i think he's one of the best strikers of his generation i think in his prime perhaps he's an application of this but i think what made cavani so great is what you were describing earlier on which was he puts such a sharp edge on your attacks when you are in the opposition third even if you're not entering the final third at pace you can score goals with cavani um, so he, he turns draws into wins. He's, he's worth a lot of points in that way. I don't think Cavani necessarily is an example of a player who is so impactful, so elite on the ball or as a physical threat, um, such that he, he tips the balance of like control. You know what I mean? Cavani's not the kind of player who I think in, in the open field is so technical or so powerful that he, he's going to get the ball and he's going to, you know, turn on the ball, play somebody in, and suddenly the, like you're, you're, you're in the opposition final third, right? Um, but yeah, sorry. I, that, was, that was just me going on a complete tangent. I wasn't even really refuting No, my, my point was more that I think United have seen quality at striker more recently and in more different forms than we've seen in goal, where this situation yeah. feels like it's been playing out for... A number of years now, like I really feel like if I sit and think about it, the frustration goes back to um, Solskjaer's interim period. Um, and there was also like there were chances to replace De Gea that United didn't take. And then now there's talks of them extending him further. It really, I think to a lot of people, feels like they're signing, a, they're signing away the team's future with that contract. And I, yeah. I sympathize with that. Like, I, I do yeah. sympathize with that. So, yeah, I think we, we talked about this the other day. If you sign De Gea to another, like, £300,000 a week contract, or even £250,000 a week contract, that's pretty bad, right? Because it's an indication of intent that he's going to start. That'd be really bad. I'd be upset about that. Especially if, it, if we didn't have a competitive goalkeeper coming in, in the summer to compete with him. I don't think, as a standalone, extending De Gea has to be catastrophic if you do it in a certain way. I'm not confident they'll do it in that way, but if you keep De Gea on like significantly reduced wages, let's say he's making 150 a week, which is still a ton of money, but I don't think it's realistic that he'd ever take less than that. Say he's making 150 a week, and you slowly phase him out, and he's a second-choice goalkeeper, and you give him sort of a dignified way out, I don't think that's catastrophic. I think that's okay. I think the current way out is dignified, and I think... I don't think he looks at it as dignified. I, I just, honestly, I just don't want him to be playing minutes next season, unless, even if the even in that scenario, 
like the goalkeeper who replaces him would be the undisputed starter and they would have to get injured for him to play because I just, I do not think he enables this team to play the way they want to play. If we replace, like, let's say we get like three or four trans, let's say we get, let's be optimistic. Let's say we get four transfers in the summer. Within reason, we, you and I agree they're the perfect transfers, except we don't get a new goalkeeper. How much worse does that make us to you than if we did get a goalkeeper? 10 points worse? 5 points worse? No. It's hard to put a number on it. I don't think we're more than 5 points worse. I'll I'll say I'll I'll, I'll say that. And it's not cuz I don't think it matters. I just don't like I think if you fix the other issues, De Gea just becomes like a really big nuisance where we're like, "Oh man, we I, could be so I, good if he wasn't here." As opposed to like I this think team is never going to be good with De Gea in it. But I think you need to frame that, right? Like, I think if you're within five points of the same team with or without De Gea, then you're within 10 to 12 points of the same team without the midfielder and the striker. It's individual players don't make a massive difference in on the final point tally of the season, right? There's 11 players in a team. If you if you distribute you know, a 70-point season across 11 players, that's five to six points a player. Assuming means, every, you know, every first 11 player plays every game. Yeah. So if every first 11 player plays every game, a player worth 10 points is like generation. And, and, and that's, They're like that's also, a star player. That's also assuming that like – this is getting very statistical, and I'm going to apologize to those of you who aren't interested in this. But when you're trying to make a holistic metric for player quality, player effect – right player value you need to set a baseline the popular baselines are above average right so let's say we're talking about this um like points above average that's how we're quantifying how good these players are you can't just divide let's say united score 70 points this season and theoretical in a theoretical world let's say only 11 players played and every one of those 11 players played all 38 matches all 90 minutes you can't just divide 70 by 11 and be like, that's how many points these players were worth on average. Because you're not, the baseline isn't zero points. Premier League teams never finish the season with zero points. You could put a champions a championship team in the Premier League, they would score more than zero points. So your baseline is actually what the average team scores. So let's say United score 70 points this season. What do you think the average number of Premier League points is? 45? Maybe. Um, Average is probably 50. 50? Okay, let's say 50. So United then would have scored 20 points above average. So then you divide those 20 points. And this is, again, I'm really, I'm oversimplifying this drastically for the sake of, you know, understanding. You divide those 20 points by 11, you get less than two points per player above average. Right? So, like, really... Like and again, you you can say, oh, well, certain players are worth more than others, obviously. But no matter how you play with those numbers, you're never going to get a player who's worth like 25 points on their own. That doesn't happen. No player is worth that much. Like no, like there's no way you can arrange the tactics such that a player is adding 25 points to a team. 
I know, no, no. It's just incredibly absurd to to say that a player will be worth like twenty points. So my point being, if De Gea is worth within five, within five is still a big amount of points for a player to possibly be worth. I agree. That's like my um, upper bound, though. I, I I don't think. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, within five. I I I just. In spite of all that, I, 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 I just don't like looking at it that way. Like I just think I, fundamentally, yeah, it, it just makes his his presence makes United so much easier to press, makes United so much more vulnerable from set pieces. Like I we are don't disagree. I don't disagree. The same thing every single week, every single season. Like I just, it's time to fix the issue, and I've. Partially, maybe this comes from my, like, football upbringing being as a 2015 post-United fan where they just have these issues in the personnel that they refuse to fix until, like, the players are edging towards retirement. And it's absolutely absurd. But it just feels like the time to get this done was, like, five years ago. And if United extend him again, it's just going to be another number of years down the line. And everyone can tell the issues. Like every everyone who is not blind can see the problem. Um, we have been talking about it since episode three, episode three of the podcast, and we both probably had these views during episode two and one because we knew about them a year ago. We, we definitely so, did. I think we probably talked yeah. about it in episode two for what it's worth, and we talked about it after Brighton. But yeah, point Whatever. is. Not only is this a problem for the way United play tactically, it's also directly costing United points from a defensive standpoint. And I just think if you don't fix it, you are, you're handicapping the team's growth as well as handicapping their points tally for the next season. I think the growth thing is the key point here because I think if you look at it from like, oh, how many points is this going to cost us next season? Probably not that many. If you look at it from, we have a project. We're trying to get way better rapidly. This is an obvious way to get better. Suddenly it looks way worse not to replace him for that reason. Because it's like, it just it just shows that the process still is very bad. Like, 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 yeah. the, like the diet, what, like, whether it's manager dependent, and this is something that you know is is the fault of the manager, or whether it's you know systemic and like the recruitment team or the analysis team or the you know Murtaugh doesn't want to replace him. Somewhere in the the chain, something is really broken. If if you if they can't identify this as like obviously we should replace him, and it's not even going to cost that much, and it's not going to cost us political capital within the dressing room even I, I really don't think it would i don't think you'd have a mutiny on your hands if you sold the hay in the summer like i don't think there's a good excuse to not do it i think that's why it's so concerning less so the footballing reasons more so the like are we actually going to get better yeah i also would say i think part of the sort of transfer culture and and wanting you know new players to come in is this idea of like we have this issue 
we're going to sign this player, we're going to plug them in, and it's going to instantly solve everything. Um, and I think with a player like Victor Asiman, I think it's more so the case in that he's going to get all kinds of different types of shots for you. And he's going to put away those shots at an at, at whatever rate. But his presence is going to help you create more chances regardless of how you play the game. The difference, as I think it applies to goalkeeper, is, you know, we've been talking about how United have not been drilling, or I mean, I don't know about drilling, but they've not been playing out of presses in actual Premier League games. Um, and so the moment they replace De Gea with a goalkeeper who, say, is better on the ball, it's not like they're instantly going to plant that goalkeeper in and be fluid playing out of the back. So if United want to challenge for the league next season, by that logic, the time to replace De Gea was a year ago because the new goalkeeper gets to go through the teething issues and, you know, have a bunch of essentially just acclimatizing, acclimatization, and then next season they're ready to go. They're ready to go from game one. Um, And we've seen this so many times with this United team. Like last season they threw the first 10 games. The year before under Solskjaer, you know, the 6-1 was in the first few weeks. United are playing horribly until they could get something together. When you throw the first three, four games of the season, that shows up at the end of the season. Like, you you can see the gap in the table that could be halved. This season, whatever gap United have, it could probably be cut by like 20-30% if United showed up in those first two games at all. Um, I just think you, you want to prime this team for whatever year they're going to be successful to be ready to go for game one. Um, and with Arsenal, like this season, a lot of it was they already had a way of playing and they're putting in final touches. You know, Jesus is going to make them more fluid in the final third, help connect the dots. I think it's just um, easier to plug in a forward than it is to plug in somebody for the back. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, it depends on the specific kind of forward. Like, I think people would look at that and say something to the effect of, you know, then why wasn't it easier for United to create for Ronaldo last season? Um, And I know the answer is because he's not very good. But, like, more than that, I think there are certain types of forwards that need to be facilitated more than players who are just, like, box strikers. So We've gone on ad nauseum about Sancho. So I I don't, yeah, it's not a generality that holds up ubiquitously yeah 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 so basically long story short i think the de gea problem is more complicated than how many points he's worth next season um and i wanted to add that in because even though we both probably think a striker is more valuable than anything else this united team could add um I, I sympathize with people who are just tired of this and want it to be over. Like, honestly, I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, let's talk about Sabitzer, maybe. Um, I thought this was a sure. bad match for him. I thought it was really bad. I, I don't really... A weird thing about when I watch United play and Sabitzer is playing is I don't really know where he is most of the match, unless I really concentrate on it. And I usually don't get a handle on what he does for most of the match, unless I rewatch it. Um, 
today I did not get to rewatch it. I did not want to rewatch it. I probably will not rewatch this match unless it becomes relevant. He just seems to hide. What do you make of that? It, it, to make it more concrete, he seems to take up really deep receiving positions. When the, the back line has the ball, he seems to position himself 20, 25 yards away from the back line, which just asks kind of unrealistic passes of them. I don't think this is instruction because I think he's really the only one who does it as extremely as he does. What do you think? A couple things. One, I always feel like talking about Sivitzer is kind of like a bonus topic because I've just kind of I, I just kind of have it in my head that he won't be around next season. Um, so take anything I'm about to say with a grain of salt because it probably won't matter in a year's time. It's kind of like talking about Rangnick a year ago. Um, number two, Sibitzer is what you get when you have a player who has technical ability, but not really the stuff that differentiates players who are good on the ball and players who control games at the top level. So Besides ball carrying, which is clearly a skill that we talk about every week and a skill that I don't think Sibitzer particularly has, I also don't think he has particularly strong ideas of how teams build in the first phase and get out of first phase. And I think that roots back to the fact that most of his career he spent playing as an attacker. Um, I think having a player like Erickson, it could be easy to into it that Erickson that that players who have certain technical abilities in advanced roles can really easily drop 20 yards deeper and become important in these deep roles when I really think that these deep roles receiving from the back four and playing out of a press are some of the most complicated roles to play in the sport you really need to understand how to position yourself you need to understand how to fool the opposition into not knowing how you're going to position yourself. And then you need to have the technical skill and experience to be able to execute in a fraction of a second without them being able to pick up your movements. And all of that happens at super high cost. If you mess up, you're in a transition situation that is essentially a whatever number of attackers the opposition has against your center backs. Um... And I just don't think Sabitzer is is that good at that, right? I think in a way we we hit it we hit it simply last week when we said Sabitzer is a good technical player who you can throw into a team of technical players and expect to for him to just help the team continue to tick, to continue to play the way they were playing. He's not the type of player you can plug into a team that is lacking in technical ability and in particular level, areas yeah. and expect him to fix it. Yeah. Um, and that gets me to number three, which is that he was in like a C today. Like the, the, there was nothing like it, it felt like it was alternating between Bruno dropping in next to him and him being like a lone pivot with both Bruno and McTominay really high up the pitch. Um, yeah. and I hate Even that in a world where you have a player with Sabitzer's weaknesses, like that's a bad way to use Marcel Sabitzer. That's a, that's just not the player he was. Sabitzer was a player who likes hitting the box at the last second and spraying long passes in the in the like opposition half second phase, like 
driving the tempo up in attacking areas by by hitting the ball really quickly. He's not the kind of player who's going to set the tempo, um, sit deep. Um, we, we've talked about setting the tempo. I, I feel like it's a vague phrase. Be, be able to to control the progression of the team um, and, and the decision of the team to progress forward versus stay where they are. Um, when to be safe. And he's just not that guy. And increase the pace of, of play. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I just think you you have um, a you're asking one player to solve what's probably two players' jobs. Like I think United need two players who can play and build up. Um, and B, you're asking one player who is not excellent at that skill at this level. One of the biggest problems with this team is that only one player who plays for Manchester United is comfortable in midfield spaces in first phase build-up. And that's Casemiro, and he's not even that comfortable doing it. I would say he's comfortable, but he's not as good as he... His his quality level in those phases does not match his comfort. Yeah, um, I would say Ericsson's better than Casemiro at it, but... I agree Ericsson is the next best, but I think he does a lot of stuff that I don't like and, and is, is, you know, is underlined... But it, like that's probably because he's been an attacking mid- midfielder most of his career. Um, but yeah, I personally would say Casemiro is better in those phases. But it's not really important. The, the, the point being, this team needs more players who play in, who play deep midfield roles. Like you can't have one injury or two injuries and be be back to oh, we'll have Bruno just do the whole thing. Because Bruno isn't good at the whole thing. Like, it's not it's not a viable solution. It's not... I'd go as far as to say he's not good at most of it. Like, he's... Like he's... I, I, when I say the whole thing, I mean he's... everything that midfielders do. I don't mean, like, deep, <laughs> But I, I don't... You, you mean he's not good at any of it, not... He's, he's not, not good, good at any of the, the stuff that first phase midfield play demands. And for what it's worth, I don't even think it's that good with Casemiro. Like, it's it's not. Yeah, I think he's really good at some of it and pretty average at, at other aspects of it. Um, which works out to like a good uh, midfielder, in, deep midfielder in possession, but not a great one. I think it'd be a problem if he was our best one, which he is, I think. But I think it's close either way. I think it's a problem if you're reliant on him, which we are. And then I think it's an even bigger problem if he's the guy you're reliant on and the next guy up is McTominay or even Sabitzer or even like... God forbid it be Bruno, because Bruno's terrible at this stuff. Like, I, it drives me nuts seeing it. Like, three managers now have done this, have been like, oh, Bruno's good on the ball. Um, you know, he, he can hit long passes. He has a good understanding of how ball progression works. He'll play the ball vertically. If we've got injuries, if we've got issues with this, we'll just drop Bruno back there and figure it out. It never works. It never works. He's really bad at it. I don't want to keep seeing it. <laughs> yeah, I think I can loop this back to the start where I talked about the personnel. And essentially, I um, I, I kind of have this idea of recruitment in my head where I, I, I kind of lean towards believing that you can... You, the teams that win are the teams with elite players, ultimately, if you look at football at the top level. And we talked about that a lot of times. But I think 
it's unrealistic to have a full team of elite players. And I think as you stray further and further away from the absolute elite, what differentiates players who don't play for top teams to players who do play for top teams is these fundamental technical skills that average players, even at Premier League level, do not have. Things like, like you said, being able to receive under pressure, being able to pass under pressure. Um, And I just think if you look at United's elite players right now, a lot of them are not the absolute best. The other teams around United have better players in those roles. And if you look at the players who are not elite at United, they're not good at this stuff. And that just leads to a team that fundamentally can't play at this level. And so I guess my takeaway and my suggestion or my, you know, I've always thought if you're going to criticize something, you present a solution is United going into recruitment windows from now on need to be looking to recruit players who, even if they're not quite elite, are technically fantastic. Like very, very good at doing the things that the current squad cannot do. Um, and it needs to be a universal thing. Like I don't want to see any new you know, players. For example, can't do this. I don't want to see people talking about how you know United signed a defender who's just really, really good at defending, and then everyone goes, "Oh, but you know, I know we said we'd sign young players, but he's so this guy's good. won eight Champions yeah. Leagues, and he's so good, and like you know, if he won eight Champions Leagues, he can do it for us too." And it's like I just want to see players who can handle pressure at the highest level. Because it is mandatory now. And the teams that are winning, like Arsenal did not sign players who won eight Champions Leagues. They just signed players who can play football. I, 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 would, I would, personally, I would step back with the Champions League rhetoric. Because I think Varane and Casemiro like, make us a lot better. It's also, it's, all, it's not just Varane and Casemiro. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. And that's, what, like, that's why I say, like, it sounds like you're targeting them, and I don't think you are. United should not sign any players, any more players, who are not excellent technically in their positions all around. No exceptions. Like, there really aren't exceptions for me. Um, and you could, like, I think a lot of people would look at a Simon and be like, oh, he's not excellent technically. I think you will find that in more ways than one, he is excellent technically. Uh, he's definitely not like Bernardo Silva, but he makes up for it in other ways that I think make him wildly effective. Um, I think this is more relevant the f- closer you get to United's own goal. There should there should not be any more like like I don't want to see a midfielder who we're signing because he's good at ball winning. I don't want to see it. Like there's there's no way you're going to be able to talk me into it. Because I've seen so many of these matches, like today, and a ball-winning midfielder wouldn't have fixed this at all. Somebody who can turn on the ball and play a pass would have fixed this. At any position, at any position, it would have helped. It would have helped at right center back. It would have helped at left central midfielder. It would have helped at striker. Wherever. It would help more at central midfield. But yeah. yeah, it would have. In I, particular, it would have helped in central midfield. But like, Arsenal don't have any players who can't do this, and neither do City. They don't have. They don't sign players who can't do this. The only exception I can think of is Calvin Phillips, and Calvin Phillips. He's been injured this season, but even if he hadn't been, he wouldn't be playing that much because he can't like turn on the ball. Like, 
you guys can't see me, but I'm having, I'm like, I've got my head in my hands here. The best coaches in the game don't, don't want these players. They don't want players who can't do these basic technical things. Even Klopp, like the name, like name a, a Liverpool player who, who was in midfield or in defense or goalkeeper who they signed and became a key part of the team and wasn't technically excellent relative to their position. You can't. They don't exist. They don't sign these players. And Liverpool's not even a team who's like, you know, stereotypically tiki-taka, positional play, retain the ball. I think a lot of people, I think Klopp himself called his football heavy metal football. He still doesn't want Roy Keane, like, jumping into tackles. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful to Roy Keane, but I mean, like, this idea of, you know, uh, combative first players out of possession first players or players who have like really flashy in possession skills and and then big in possession deficiencies the best teams in the sport don't sign these players all right on that note it is 11:30 p.m. and we are clearly still pissed off at that result <laughs> um yeah, I mean it, it's it, it's frustrating, but I think it's also not unpredictable. I think I think we've both seen this coming for a while, and you know you play you play a couple good teams and it shows. Um, but I think United still have enough to get through the rest of the season. At the start of the season, we had both predicted United to finish sixth. So hopefully, that if happen. they ride out the rest of the season and finish fourth, um, that's a good season. And they also got a trophy and could win more. So even though it's frustrating right now, it is definitely miles and miles away from what we were seeing a year ago. It can just still be frustrating sometimes not to see that fixed more abruptly and see signs that it might never be fixed. So I think that's where we are today. And if you don't have anything else to add, Case, I think that's where we'll leave it till next week. No, I think I've done enough. (laughs) All right. We'll chat soon then. Bye, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.